Hello, and welcome back to The Queer Chaos. I'm your resident lover of the Criterion Collection and Cinnamon Toast, John Malitris, also known as Craft Witch on the Instagrams. That's Craft with a K, like the mac and cheese. Well, here we are, well into fall. The leaves have fallen and carpeted the ground. They're crunching. The air is getting crisp and cooler at night. The days are still a little bit warm here in Denver, Colorado, and I am really feeling into this seasonal energetic change. Oh, honey, my mood is here, it's there, it's everywhere, and I'm just going to roll with it. Well, episode 10. It feels like I started this a year ago, but it really hasn't been that long. I am so excited to have these guests on today. Uh, they are the living altar, Ilvamara and Kiki Robinson. And you may remember Kiki Robinson from last episode where we talked about social media. Well, the living altar is a magical community based in the Pacific Northwest. They're doing activism, witchcraft, art, ritual, community work. I love everything every bit of it. Not to mention they've made this gorgeous, gorgeous oracle deck where they've taken ritual and combined it with collage, their own blood, sweat, and tears into these beautiful cards, each one a spell, an incantation, an intention, a teaching tool for entering into a magical practice. One last thing before we dive on in, let me know you love Queer Chaos with a follow on Instagram at Queer Chaos Pod. Sharing the show on your socials and with your friends, and what really gets me going is a review on Apple Podcasts and a follow of the show wherever you get your pods. And now, let's enter the Queer Chaos. <laughs> So hello, hello, welcome to the fucking queer chaos here we are (laughs) it's queer it's chaotic it's slightly unmanageable it's everything i look for in a partner (laughs) would you um introduce both of yourselves for our audience hello i'm kiki robinson i go by opulent witch and my pronouns are they, them. I'm a practicing witch in traditional magic and an artist. I'm a tarot reader and um, yeah, all around <laughs> queer freak. Um, and yeah, I'm one part of the living altar. And I'm the other part of the living altar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ilva Droma Marajanya Rajushevsky, but I go by Ilva Mara. Um, on Instagram, I am Bimbo Yaga, B I M B O Y A G A. Also, you can find Kiki and I's work at 
the Living Alter on Instagram. I am a trans non-binary femme. I identify as queer. I'm a white person of mixed Romani and Slavic and Balkan ancestry. And I also am a person who lives with disassociative identity disorder, DID. And so sometimes I will refer to myself as a system using we or us. Um, So just as an FYI, if I'm speaking about Kiki and myself, we, I'll usually just say Kiki and I. (laughs) Well, thank you for that. I'm so happy we finally um, got together. We, I, I should tell everyone, we tried to do this during Mercury retrograde. And as anyone knows, anyone in the know of the retrogrades, you do not attempt technical things during a retrograde but we tried <laughs> even we though even it was upgraded and updated all of like the computer server and operating systems mm-hmm. <laughs> and i will say that that mercury retrograde was a doozy it was a doozy <laughs> it was it i i think well kiki you're you're a friend of the podcast and you've you've been yeah. on before when we did um the episode about social media with edgar as mm-hmm. um our co-host and yeah. and i think we actually spoke a little bit how well at least my experience of that retrograde this most recent one is that she was she had tendrils and they were mm-hmm. reaching out past even when we were supposed to have like the cutoff date for that retrograde it was shadowy it was shadowy yeah i don't really like giving mercury retrograde that much power but that one was um <laughs> low key demonic <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Give the retrograde what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it was touching multiple timelines mm-hmm. at the same time yeah, as well. Like... It was rough over here <laughs> in this internal landscape. I was like, w- I was in the future a lot. Oh yeah. And um, kept getting confused why nobody else was understanding what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know, it's funny because my my experience um, as an artist during that retrograde was performing um, quite contemporary digital music over top of a 1932 film. So I felt like I was also experiencing those multiple timelines. So I thank you for oh, that. Wow. <laughs> wow. Definitely a timeline convergence or something. It was like yeah. all the... Yeah, just like time dissolving. Mm-hmm. It was interesting. So I'm hoping um, the both of you might tell me about the living altar, how it came to be, maybe how you, how the both of you met, how you came to form the living altar, um, what you're up to these days with the living altar. Give it to me all. Yeah, <laughs> bring it in space, baby. Okay, well, part of our. <laughs> Um, origin story of the living altar and I was just thinking about this the other day so um, was when we lived across the street from each other but we did not know each other at the time and I think it was in 2008 or yeah. like 2007 yeah 2000 something something yeah, yeah the early 2000s yeah Capitol Hill picture it Capitol yeah. Hill 2008 mm-hmm. and that's John, Capitol Hill Seattle for, Capitol for Hill, Seattle, that may be coming in from DC Seattle. John and 11th, 
the mm-hmm. intersection of John and 11th. Major um, crossroads energy. Major crossroads energy. Yeah, but we lived across the street from each other. For years. Um, for years. Didn't know. But we didn't know each other at the time. But I like to think of it that we were <laughs> uh, doing we're, the origins of the living altar were beginning then. <laughs> um, but I think that we met in more like 2015. Um, and I started getting involved at the school of traditional magic that Ilva runs. And so we got to know each other through there. Um, and then we started talking about art. Um, and I believe we started talking about printmaking. And then you asked me to collaborate with you on the deck. Um, and so we so we started the collaboration and then that was um, like 2017 2017 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we began uh planning out the deck and uh okay for (laughs) anyone who doesn't know at home the living altar is um an oracle deck based on the witch's wheel it's a divinatory tool but it's also a tutelary aid as well mapping out the the witch's wheel um, and it's gorgeous. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's gorgeous. And I, you know, it's funny because I, I was at, I sent you um, a message on Instagram. I was at, um, it was sort of like a queer gathering um, out in the park here and someone brought the deck oh, and, wow. and I wasn't even making connections yet, but I saw them like, oh, this is, this is like the um, decoupage collage of my dreams. Like it's gorgeous. Oh. It's, it's textural. It's Yeah. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Yeah, when we were making <laughs> oh. it, um, we really wanted to uh, have it be something that is living. It's literally the living altar. And we'll talk more about like what went into it and how it came to be. But the texture mm-hmm. was so important and so specific. We wanted it to be velvety and shiny mm-hmm. and thick and a big handful. And <laughs> what everyone wants. <laughs> Yeah, basically STEM magic. Um, just like when you shuffle it, we wanted to go gunk, 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 gunk. Mm-hmm. And um, also mm-hmm. like the dream of the 90s is alive in the Living Altar Oracle deck. We wanted all those mm-hmm. contrasting colors and like yeah. multiple patterns layered on top of each other. We just wanted it to be maximalist. chaotic, <laughs> maximalist, queer femme magic. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I wanted to know is that... Um, both Ilva and I share an ancestral lineage of Romani and the ancestors really came through um, when we were creating the deck. So the deck was composed of, um, the base of it is linoleum block, um, hand carved prints. And then we um, spelled each print by collaging on top of each print with living matter, hence the living altar. So it is comprised of our hair, sweat, tears, uh, plants, bone, literal blood, blood. Yes. Um, you know, for all sorts of living matter that we collected through our, our journey. And some of it is like literally from us too, Mm -hmm. you know, our, we would like cry into the cards. We would, you know, clip our hair, um, and sew it into the, the prints, the hand carved prints. So, each um, card is really invoked with a spell. We wrote a spell for each card, and through those invocations, we um, burned the spell and rubbed the ash into the the cards. Um, and then in the 
open handbook that people get when they have the deck, um, the spells can also be found in the book along with a reflection, kind of like journaling prompt or like a reflective question guiding that card as well. Mm -hmm. The entire process of that took uh, probably like eight months, Mm -hmm. eight or nine months, um, because we built an altar for every card that we did. And some of those rituals took, you know, 24 hours, you know, we would really um, tend to the altar and tend to that ritual. Each one was very different. So, you know, we kind of didn't know until we started to build build each altar for the card. Would you consider them to be divination cards um, or, or tarot cards? How would you describe them to folks that are maybe more familiar with like what a tarot deck looks like? I would say that mm-hmm. I, I think that we would call them, it is an Oracle deck and that was the intention. Mm-hmm. And it, so in that way they are divinatory like a divinatory deck and they're also altar cards. And so um, being, being two individuals who are, who are living within diaspora with Romani ancestry, growing up Catholic, growing up um, in an assimilated, in an assimilated families, there's, I don't know about you, Kiki, we never really talked about this, but something that really always struck me is the, um, the uh, saint medallions and those little charms mm-hmm. that that your grandmas would give you your mm-hmm. baba right yeah i have one in my wallet of the the mary uh, mm-hmm. the mary of poland don't i don't speak polish no we mean but um they also remind me of like altar altar cards or like uh, petitionary yeah. cards mm-hmm. or these beautiful um mm-hmm. i forget the name of it but they're like yeah they're like medals mm-hmm. and we our thought was that you could put them on the altar not just mm-hmm. like read them not just you work with them as like tutelary support for your adventures and learning magic and deepening in your own craft but also like you can work with them as a singular focus for spell work mm-hmm. so you can put one card on the altar which represents uh, whatever card represents your intention mm-hmm. for that spell or that mm-hmm. ritual and use it as like um a devotional focus as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. you can use them to to um charge objects charge candles so they're they're pretty multifunctional mm-hmm. very versatile i i really like using them in spell work and ritual work so i charge like water or oils um i charge my candles on you know like maybe a specific card that i'm needing to you know, draw upon the energy of that, that point on the wheel. Mm-hmm. Otherwise the living altar as well, I wanted to note too, is, is more than just the deck. It's also mm-hmm. a rich, a ritual art, art experience. I think mm-hmm. is what we're calling it. So we also create um, a community ritual and community altar services, which also are accompanied by a video spell. Mm-hmm. So we create like video uh, pieces of art, digital art, um, and installation work mm. as well. Yeah, if you go to our website, uh, I think it's livingalter.com. You should know our website. <laughs> it is livingalter.com. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it is. Like, it is. <laughs> or it isn't, but we think it is. 
And um, <laughs> but if you go, you, and that's what matters. If you go, you'll find our digital community grimoire with all of the digital spells that accompany the altar services that we've done over the last three or four years. Mm-hmm. They're all available for people to work with. Um, yeah, I remember seeing the community practice ritual and also um, thinking about how there there seems to be an activism component also to the living altar. Maybe you could um, speak to how activism also shows up within your magic practice, within your ritual practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'll start a little bit. Okay, sounds good. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me think of the work that I offer through the School of Traditional Magic, I call uh, community witchcraft. And it is a deliberate nomenclature that I've come to because I feel that magic is a communal experience, even if we are solitary practitioners. Because when we cast spells, when we perform rituals, we, by nature of magic, are changed. By the nature of practicing magic, we are changed by magic and we are changed through the practice. And that change affects us, it affects our relationships, it affects um, the way we move through the world and interact with the world. And also as a witch, it's so important because we are, you know, we Kiki and I talk about this a lot, that the role of the witch is to disrupt Mm -hmm. and to identify areas in the world and in life and in culture that need disruption and to bring energy there. Um, And as artists, our work is to um, communicate that disruption and archive that disruption and create sacred space for that disruption to be held um, in, in a way that is safe for people to experience transformation. And the, so it's when we think about the witch for me the witch has always been an arbiter of justice the witch has always been a member of the council the witch to me is a person who holds a a commitment to remember and to remember how things uh, were and to be accountable to how things are and be responsible for ways that we can move forward in collective um, to to embody the changes that need to happen in ourselves and in one another and community and also like remind everybody of that mm-hmm. and and remind ourselves of that and the witch mm-hmm. in our work is community which is everything we do has an intention to empower our community people that we know and don't know um the queer the queer community at large as well um and so i think that anytime we engage in in acts of magic, we are inherently engaging in acts of activism. Um, if we are truly honoring that that position of community mm-hmm. witch. Mm-hmm. That's a great description. Yeah. I feel like, well, echoing just everything Opa shared, um, also um, a lot of my magic has historically been centered in magical activism and obviously currently is as well. Um, just Purely also because I feel like as a witch, there's a responsibility. Um, and, you know, I won't speak for everyone, but I, I part of like my value system is I have a responsibility um, to community and to also just like the collective field that everything I do, even if it's, you know, for 
an intention of like creating change within myself, I do intend for it to ripple to create change within, you know, collective and the world and community. And a lot of the work I do is very much centered in dismantling um, the kind of more energetics of systemic oppression and empowering and helping people empower their magic so that they connect to their resiliency within, you know, whether they identify as a witch, whether it be, you know, like someone coming to me for a tarot reading or for, you know, energy work or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, I really want and I hope to help people connect to their inherent magic within uh, and their their ancestors and um, really connecting to the strength that they have to, you know, also show up to community, however that might look. Um, so yeah, I think when we do work as the living altar in community ritual, a lot of it is very much centered in creating resistance and resiliency, um, naming that we're very much living under the systems of oppression, some being much more impacted by those systems and others, some, you know, privileging off of those systems, but regardless, having it be, um, an act of resistance. Mm-hmm. I want to also quick add to oh, that, yeah. that, you know, Kiki and I are, yes, we live in, we live actively in diaspora as assimilated Romani people. Uh, and also we live as colonizers on mm-hmm. unceded Duwamish land. Mm-hmm. Well, I live on unceded Duwamish land, but you recently moved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the point of that being that if we, if we as colonizers, people who continue mm-hmm. to perpetuate mm-hmm. colonization through the, through being present on um, land that is not our yeah. ancestral lands, mm-hmm. we it's our responsibility and uh, to be accountable to that. And yeah. the practice of magic does not happen in a vacuum, and it happens in the in the company of spirits, and it happens with the grace of of the of the spirits of of the land and. Uh, of the places where we are and if we're not accounting for the fact that you know if 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 we as colonizers and you know folks who are listening if this is also your relationship um it's important to understand that every act of magic must be petitioned you must petition the spirits of land and place and account for your position of power and privilege um in being there and you know anytime we cast spells or perform ritual on land that is not our ancestral homes that is that is a blessing it's a privilege and it is something that needs to be accounted for um and so it's impossible to perform witchcraft um as a colonizer without Mm -hmm. also weaving in personal accountability which Mm -hmm. is also activism Yeah, you know, this is something I think about all the time and it and it really and I and I think about it in a way where I do not become flooded with emotion for for even sort of existing and practicing anywhere at all, you know. Um and I I'm located in in Denver at the moment, which is Utah, Arapaho and Cheyenne. I don't think it's Cherokee. I think it's Cheyenne. 
But if I, if that's a mistake, I apologize. Um, but, but gratitude and then reciprocity. So giving and taking and giving and taking in reciprocity. Um, and as I, as I work in, in ecotherapy, you know, how do I take queers and trans folks out into nature to sort of um, attune their nervous systems to the, to the nervous system of earth and, and still have an understanding that it's all in reciprocity. You know what I mean? How do, how are we not just going out there and using this land um, for what we need um, for our own healing practices and not, not having a sort of reciprocal relationship. I deeply appreciate that. And I also want to name that, um, you know, as, as colonizing people, it is impossible to have true uh, reciprocity uh, between self mm. and spirits of land and place uh, where we are not ancestral stewards. Mm-hmm. And I don't have an answer for it. I just, I think it's an important thing to add into the conversation that that's a nuance that is, um, that can feel complicated and can feel troubling in our in our bodies, perhaps when we're mm-hmm. when we're just trying to to like quote do the right thing or do well for each other, yeah. and it's and it's part of it is like being willing to create space, whether that's through ritual conversations with other colonizing people, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, whatever with your ancestors, whatever the case might be. Um, Maybe it's even with with it within count, communal council with uh, people uh, who do have ties to the land, but the 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 whole point of introducing the concept of um, magical activism to to the magical community, the witching community at large, as like a a uh, inherent practice is to just say take a moment to make space for it on your altar. You don't have to have an answer there. The answers are, are systemic, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and I just, I think I just wanted to name that as um, just a, a thought to kind of put out there that even when we're going out there and into the land and uh, attuning our nervous systems to the land, there's also almost like this there's a there's a membranous divide between us and the spiritual power of the land when we are not from there and that membranous divide i think also it links us back to uh systems of white supremacy and and settler colonialism that not we don't have to break through them to connect to the land we have to break them period so that whatever comes next comes next Mm -hmm. i don't know if that makes sense but no that totally makes sense i think um just to add to that um i think something that feels important to say too that's just been a part of my own process is learning and educating myself about the real histories of land and place um Mm -hmm. you know and understanding like what happened um and understanding yeah the history of violence of colonization like on the specific land that i'm residing in mm-hmm. yeah yeah and I, the last maybe the last point i want to make on that is this is something that kiki and i teach about 
in our work on our, we have, we teach classes on magical activism and how to incorporate that work in your magical practice. Um, but when we're, when we're wanting to connect to the spirits of land and place, we can connect to, to the spirits of land and place where we are not ancestral stewards by having conversations and listening and supporting indigenous-led sovereignty movements and supporting black-led black liberation movements and learning the histories and my dog is also agreeing with us and um like hell yeah and also um and also uh you know you can connect to your own ancestral land by calling to those spirits and forming relationships with those spirits um, and learning your own people's histories, which is so vital. It's mm-hmm. so vital. It's mm-hmm. not just about like, um, yeah, we have to go backwards as well as forwards in this mm-hmm. work. And some of us have more responsibility to that than others. Mm-hmm. I- Sorry, Iris is making a guest appearance. Yeah. <laughs> guest appearance. Oh, <laughs> yes. Queer chaos. <laughs> <laughs> what a... Oh, what a pooch. She's like, no, I'm the star. No, no, no. <laughs> it's so interesting. So we share um, a history with Catholicism. And I'm always interested um, in other in other magical folks who share that history because I think from a very specific and, and often um, traumatizing um um faith comes this like divine magical appreciation for like icons and art and and just being sort of like dramatic and fabulous i think it's there's a there's an interesting quality that um that i think people that um either grew up or spent some time in the catholic church share together and i'm wondering what your what your experience um, was in 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 bridging maybe that that uh, movement from a history of of that of the Catholic Church to now to having a sort of magical practice. Yeah, it's interesting because um, <laughs> I I feel like I've done a lot of you know core tending and clearing of Catholicism through my time as I um, you know grow deeper into my my magic um, and kind of divest from organized religion. Um, But in a way I find it oddly like comforting and it has connected me to uh, ancestral magic in certain ways, Um, aspects of like the ritual and yeah, even like the iconography or um, like depictions of saints Um, for me has really connected me. It's like almost like, yeah, I've been able to trace back through Catholicism to access and like connect to deeper ancestors that, yeah, maybe I wouldn't have been able to if I um, just completely shut it off and shut it down. Um, yeah, I I actually just find <laughs> like, oddly, yeah, like a lot of comfort in it. Um, and obviously wanting to name that it's also uh there's a lot of trauma in the experience Mm -hmm. of organized religion and as well as, you know, the ancestral lineage experiencing trauma from organized religion as well. Yeah. I grew up um, in a Slavonic Catholic home. 
So my father is from Poland and my mom's, my mom is Romani and Sinti and German. And my dad's, my dad's side of the family is Polish and uh, Silesian and Ashkenazi. And I grew up in a very different kind of Catholicism, as I've learned over the years. <laughs> I was like, oh, y'all's Catholic Church is very different <laughs> than oh. our Catholic Church. <laughs> like, they had to write a whole language to get the Slavs on board with Christ, you know? <laughs> so I grew up going to uh, the um, uh, Slavonic Catholic Church, and I and my grandmother, my, my Romani grandmother, um, practice traditional like home home traditions of healing and blessing and super what we would call superstitions but mm-hmm. are actually aspects of what's called romane pay which is the, the romani way of living our own taboos our own nasias um and i just grew up also with both of my grandmothers my baba and my and my babsha always just praying and blessing everything and anointing everything if there was a big something happening oh wait don't come out come back here don't leave the house yet let me stick a penny in your shoe and rub oil on your forehead and you know i gotta do the turn around and spit on you and it's like okay great i gotta go um it's just literally <laughs> the first day of kindergarten i gotta, gotta go, go to yeah <laughs> yeah you know just spitting at me um so I grew up in in a Catholic home where Catholicism was a vessel to hold uh, ancestral traditions that could not be assimilated or that would not be lost through assimilation. And that's how I, I've come to know Catholicism as a as a force of fascism, yes, and also on the other side of it, I look to Catholicism often to, um, uh, to I guess, resurrect and to, to parse out true ancestral culture, true ancestral customs and traditions. Much of uh, the de- demonic lore is based on the demonization of pagan spirits from Eastern Europe and the Balkans. And a lot of the ritualization that you, the ritual, the rituals of Catholicism are deeply pagan in their origin. And so when I see, when I look at Catholicism or any kind of Christian, uh, but mostly it's Catholicism, I like to, to kind of get in there and subvert it and work with the, the liturgical prayers and work with the Psalms as a way of connecting to the ancestors who who used the Psalms and used the liturgical prayers and the divine office to hold their ancestral prayers. And as a Polish person whose family also probably whispered and had those folk healing traditions in their family, um, just given what my grandmother would do and what I know now, um, I, I can appreciate that though I do not know my ancestral languages or my family's certain prayers for healing, I know how to access that space because of the ways my ancestors um, wove tradition into uh, Catholicism as a means of surviving assimilation. 
Mm-hmm. And I find that to be so queer, mm-hmm. you know, even in such a, uh, such a cis heteronormative uh, religious structure, such as the Slavonic church, it's such a queer thing that they've done that those ancestors did to survive mm-hmm. that, that, that level of ingenuity, resourcefulness, resilience. And I'm not saying, you know, y'all go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays and Fridays, like we did. And Monday mornings, <laughs> you know, and, and Wednesday mornings and Wednesday nights, you know, I grew up going to church a lot, praying the hours with my grandmothers. I'm not saying that, but I am saying, like, if we're thinking about, um, uh, you know, what can be a relationship, how can we take our relationship if you share that history of harm or that history of growing up Catholic and as a queer witch, you can, you can re, um, you, yeah, you can recapitulate that experience. You can remediate that experience and do so in a way that liberates the ancestors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my grandmother was also first generation Polish immigrant, um, and I spent time in the Roman Catholic Church. Oh, interesting. Yeah, um, but I do I do remember now all of these superstitions that were in the house. Um, it's just superstitions here and there and everywhere. It was, and it, and it always felt like so magical um, to me. And, and when every time I light the frankincense or myrrh or, or even work with any type of like wooden objects, it definitely brings back the sense memory from the Catholic church that can be quite like jarring <laughs> because I also remember a lot of, a lot of the um, sort of homophobic and anti-queer language being used um, by by priests, among other things. But um, but in a way, it's sort of like closing that that loop, closing that experience loop um, by by using these senses and turning them on their head, using frankincense, yeah. using myrrh. Um, working with waters and liquids and yeah i love i didn't realize that you also were polish and it's so cool i was adopted Uh uh-huh um into my adopted family um my my grandmother um polish my grandfather hungarian and then on my mother's side my grandmother sicilian and my grandfather italian Mm-hmm. with a lot of Catholicism. <laughs> I think growing up in culture, you know, like you grew up in Polish culture, you know, in a way. And something I think is really cool about it is that that kind of Catholic, that kind of Catholicism venerates the saints and the spirits and the ancestors more than mm-hmm. Christ. Mm-hmm. And um, I, that to me is so pagan. Mm-hmm. You know, that to me is so pagan. Um, mm-hmm. And I love the idea of queering, queering the ritual components and like closing yeah. those, those trauma loops and, and creating new narratives. Um, I love that too. I love that. I, 
I love like subverting the rituals mm-hmm. and um yeah making like mm-hmm. holy water mm-hmm. of your own you know and <laughs> my orientation within you know so if I were if I said I was entering the vestibule and I was walking towards the altar my orientation immediately goes to the stained glass windows where the saints are mm-hmm. um Christ hanging on the cross at the front of the room did nothing for me <laughs> I was like I don't understand what that is but these gorgeous um narratives on the wall i mean on the on the sides of the church were kind of where i was i was drawn um and in, and this reminds me i was i was reading paul shepherd um wrote a book called nature and madness and talks a lot about how um how when we started to domesticate agriculture land what what really happened when we was what really caused us to sort of have this Cartesian split from ourselves and nature so that they became sort of two separate things. Um, And he talks about how there's myth and there's history and myth is cyclical. It's feminine, it's divine. And then there's history, which is very linear um, lines, causal. um, And, and I think almost it's like, when I think of the Catholic church, it's like both of those things because the saints are very myth-making. But then there's this very linear history also, also present in, in the text. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I love the idea of like, um, working with time magic and something I've explored with. Yeah. Um, just connecting to ancestors um, through Catholicism is like tracing, like tracing back through time magic and kind of, um, yeah, almost like being like, okay, what also was this saint before it was inundated into the Catholic church? So I like to think about that as well. And like, it almost feels, and like, at least in my experience, feels very celestial and very cosmic. So Kiki, you moved to Portland. That seems like a, a big move, but yet it's it seems close geographically, but it but it I would assume has a different feel. What brought you to Portland? Yeah, um, yeah, also just wanting to name, yeah, now that I'm in so-called Portland, I'm on um unseated Cowlitz, um Multnomah Chinook land. Um I've been, yeah, the last week or so been doing um just like a lot of learning about like the histories of the land there. Um, and yeah, I, <laughs> my mom's side is from Portland. So I um, am really familiar with the area and mm. um, my grandma uh, lives there. Uh, my grandma passed eight years ago, but I was really, really close with her um, as well as my great aunt who passed for four years ago. So I just have like this, uh, just like, really nostalgic <laughs> since there. Um, I'm also a dancer. So I moved for um, better, <laughs> like better, basically better like working <laughs> environments. Um, I just mm-hmm. do really, I do pretty well in the clubs down there. So yeah. Um, yeah. And I think I just was like needing a change, just having grown up in that, this area and yeah, it's so close to to Seattle mm-hmm. that I was like, it's only like a. I mean, it took me two hours 
and 45 minutes to get up here today. Um, and it's, yeah, it's really not that bad. I thought actually yeah. the drive was shorter <laughs> than that. So I thought I was thinking the drive was like an hour, but I guess that's wrong. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, an hour is about, um, is Olympia. Um, so like okay. Olympia is like about halfway in between. Um, but it's kind of just a straight shot <laughs> on I five. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, I've been, I've been having to make the drive quite a bit because Oh yeah, sorry. There's like a U-Haul shortage. Like I'm about to like ramble. Like, <laughs> okay, like all right. Do you oh. some, like U-Haul gossip? Before you all start, coming. okay. Please yeah, shed all, like, share all the yeah, U-Haul gossip. PSA for all the queers out there. If you're gonna U-Haul, make sure one you get it in advance because of course I procrastinated and I waited until like two days before there is a west coast u-haul shortage happening um because a few reasons i found out the dirt <laughs> so <laughs> i guess everybody, <laughs> right? i know i've been like talking about like the here U-Haul is the u-haul dirt, dirt. <laughs> <laughs> so i guess one everyone's moving out of california two another thing has been happening so in the pandemic there's been a rental car shortage. Don't know why. Yes, that I knew about. Okay. Severe. It's quite, it was quite severe. It's a little better now. Wow. Interesting. So then people. I have a piece of information about the rental car. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So the rental car shortage could possibly be because people aren't buying new cars and selling their old cars to car rental companies or selling them back to dealerships, which then sell them at a discount to car rental agencies. So that could possibly be something. That makes a lot of sense. It's not really information, it's just a theory. (laughs) I also heard that the, because there were there were less employees and the factories had shut down, they stopped making a particular chip or something. Or no, there was. Wow. I'm making this. I'm fucking making this up. But this, I, I think I heard that this like that the chips that they make for the for the cars, the computers were not being made, so new cars were not being made, and then they just started running out of cars. But I think I also heard something about used cars not being sold or i don't know it's a mess <laughs> and then so then i guess people have been renting u-hauls to go to the club to go glamping yeah we need, we're going to wherever like the big uh, what a great big star, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my we're going to like in our u-haul so then now there's a new haul shortage. So anyways, long story wow. short, I had to get this. Okay. Yeah. Y'all do this in advance. Cause I got the shortest uh, truck and it was $450 to uh. for two days. So I, I've been telling everyone, if you have to rent a U-Haul, book it in advance <laughs> i was like they're scamming me <laughs> you've heard it here first people yeah. book these u-hauls in advance yeah going to the source <laughs> i'm wondering now if this is the reason why i'm seeing these rando 
um, like rental trucks that are for people here that are moving out of my complex that are like yeah. America, USA, rent a, rent a <laughs> truck or whatever. But there are no U-Hauls. They're like rando companies. Yeah, I think that there's all these like competition companies um, kind of, yeah, like renting out their trucks. But here there was um, everyone was out of a truck except for U-Haul. Mm -hmm which had like one last truck and it was like, <laughs> you know, U-Haul fiasco. So. This also could be like, this This could be a, like a ripple, like one of like those death ripples of mm -hmm. the fall, like the final fall of capitalism. Yes. Like oh down God. with monopoly. I was you know? literally thinking about that. I was like, this is like representing like the fall of the empire. The last U-Haul in America, the fall of capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> Who will write this book? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's, it's a whole drama, you know? It's interesting that you you talk about um, folks moving out of California. You know, I'm ready for the dust to settle, and I want to see like these sort of American diasporas. Like, where have people moved to? I know that here yeah. in Colorado, we've gotten a lot of people from New York. Mm -hmm. We've gotten a lot of people from California. Um, there have been a, a there's been a huge influx of folks into Colorado because the housing market oh, is quite a crisis now. Oh, there are no homes to buy anymore, and yeah. and everything is just so absolutely expensive. Oh yeah, that's like a whole nother. I mean, like the housing crisis is a whole nother situation, and mm -hmm. that might even be why people are moving out of California. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So Portland has a very interesting energy. Yeah. Yeah. I've only been there for a week and a half. Now. <laughs> you're, you're, um, you haven't felt into all that energy yet. <laughs> so far, so good. It's definitely very uh, vortexy. Um, yeah. But I feel, I feel connected to it and, mm. I live down the street from a cemetery and I live down the street from, I didn't plan this, but a uh, cremation, like funeral home that a couple of my family members worked at. Mm. And yeah, so it feels, yeah, it's always an interesting energy. I was kind of commenting on it this, <laughs> this weekend. I was like, it feels, I don't know if you've been, but it's like... I have spent some yeah. time there. You know that Oregon has the most ghost towns per capita of any state in the U.S.? Wow. Yeah, I, I did a driving tour and saw some pretty amazing things. And, and some of the towns actually like 10 people still live there, like Whoa. just surrounded by wow. a ghost town. I'm like, wow. could you imagine just like going out to get your newspaper, you know, in the morning and be like, look at yeah. all of the ghost buildings. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. I would love that. Honestly. Yeah, I know. Who am I kidding? <laughs> Like, I'm, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> also another fun fact has more strip clubs than churches i have heard this actually that there are a, a lot of strip clubs in portland or oregon in general i think it's, all of it right. 
Yeah, definitely Portland has more strip clubs than churches. I do remember as reading it be, as it should be. Yeah. <laughs> or put the put the strip clubs in churches. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I do have a sexy nun fetish. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> I know. Right? Yeah. Well, I think of I think of nuns. I often think of stories that my um, that my grandmother, my Polish grandmother, um, talking about the nuns that used to like wrap her across the hands, and I always I always associated nuns with a sort of like BDSM culture yes. <laughs> vibe. Um, literally, when I when I used to do dungeon work, I my bimbo yaga persona in the dungeon is a mean mommy dummy inspired by in part stories of sadistic nuns. Okay. I just, I just love it. Yeah. I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't love the violence inherent within the church, but <laughs> I do love, I do love the sadism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've really this conversation has really gone down a path, yeah. <laughs> a thorny forked path. <laughs> the, the name queer chaos. Yes. <laughs> I mean seriously, we're we invited here. Yeah, <laughs> I um, so I was doing a little bit of a, a a dive into the history of Portland, and part of that was all of the um organized crime coming down. Um, the Pacific Northwest, up and down the Pacific Northwest through Portland. Oh, wow. Um, and there's a lot of that, like, huh. kind of vortex, like, as you say, yeah. that energy, um, especially around the sort of Columbia River. And yeah. and then yeah. also um, that weird little strip called, I think it's Jansen Beach slash Hayden mm. Island. Yeah. Uh, that also has a very interesting history to it. Um, one of them being about an amusement park at um, Jansen Beach that existed um, potentially as a front for organized crime God. until I think it was it was only operating, that specific one was only operating for two years. And then I think another amusement park popped up. But there's a there's a really interesting history. Um, and that energy is definitely felt up in that area. That's really interesting. I'll have to read about that. Um, there's a lot of amusement parks there because when I used to go to visit my grandma, we'd always go to like some sort of amusement park or like carnival. Um, right. There's a lot of that, that kind of like carnival or like, yeah, amusement park, like circus <laughs> energy there. So mm-hmm. at least in my experience as a child going I love a I love a good old local carnival. Yeah, like yeah. a yeah. a county fair. <laughs> I, <love a> county <laughs> fair. <laughs> I mean, you that funnel cake. Like, I just think of county fairs. I think about funnel mm-hmm. cake and fried shit, and like tossing rings on like beer bottles to win some rando stuff down them. And like <laughs> like smoking like smoking shake, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Caramel Caramel apples. I, you know what? I always like the ones covered in like that red candy, like the ones that would just you bite bite into it and lose a couple of teeth. (laughs) I had such a food thing growing up that I 
I, and I love candy apples, but I would buy them at the, at the, at the, at the fair and I would carry it home and everybody made fun of me, but I couldn't eat it. I couldn't mm-hmm. eat it in public mm-hmm. because it was such a, it was so, so it was so complicated and I would cut the, mm-hmm. I would just cut the apple up at home and I'd put it away in like a little Tupperware and it was my candied apple and that's how I ate them. But I love them. Oh, and I, so I still crave them, but I feel like I, they're my frenemy. It's like one of, it's like one of my, like <laughs> one of my emotional triggers. Wow. Yeah. But they're so, so good. They're so good. Yeah. Cotton candy <laughs> is the caramel sauce. Do you ever That's get just good. the caramel sauce? To dip the apples I love in. that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's so good. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, the ones with like the a hard shell, hard shell. So it's good. A, it's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah, you have to commit. A whole adventure. <laughs> Do you know what it was? It was like how big your mouth had to get. Yes, and then how slobbery <laughs> your chin got and your neck yeah. got. Yeah, process. It was just like. <laughs> yeah. This I had I had no context for that at the time. You no. Know? And I think I always remember just like so much shit just sticking to it by the by the end of it, just walking around and yeah. eating it like you'd have grass uh-huh. on it. Like you pulled a, <laughs> like a lollipop out of a sofa cushion. <laughs> it's like hey, hey. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. Okay, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Well, before we part ways, I'm wondering um, if you could share, um, I know you've said in the beginning, but could we share our social media, our websites, our handles, our things, like if any specific things are coming up, because I think I'm going to try to get this out on Wednesday. So if you have any um, teachings, workshops, et cetera, coming up um, nearing the end of November or projecting into December or whatever. Yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram at Opulent Witch. Um, we also can be found uh, through the Living Altar at uh, at the, the Living the Altar. Living altar. <laughs> um, that one does have a yes, yeah. yes. I always mix them Switch up. Them, me too. Um, and our okay. email is weird too. I know. Just, yeah. Does not con- there's no consistency. Chaos. <laughs> Chaos. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're unhinged fans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly what we're gonna change our like Instagram. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and we then, need work life balance though, so maybe we shouldn't. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Folks. Um, uh, my website is opulentwitch.com. And then, uh, yeah, some upcoming things. I just released a eclipse ritual guide. Um, so I just put out on my Patreon a eclipse season ritual guide for clearing, for banishment magic, for cord cutting, all sorts of ways to work with the eclipse energy. And I'm also doing a live ritual on Thursday uh, for the full moon and eclipse as well. And that can be found on my Patreon, which is app op- which <laughs> Lovely. Awesome. And for me, you can find my work on Instagram at Bimbo Yaga. My website is traditionalmagic.com. Magic spelled M-A-G-I-C.com. Um, 
I just launched my Patreon. So starting December 1st, we're going to get into some cool queer magic there. I'll be making an announcement on the Instagram. And then I will be launching, I'm having a bit of a, a little uh, shenanigans with the printer here for my new line of altar um, essences, but I anticipate launching them hopefully by December 1st. So I'm launching a line of altar wares called Bimbo Yaga's Pantry, and I'll have five garden essences made from flowers and plants that I grew in my garden, um, five different crystal essences, and then five anointing oils uh, to pair with the, the, so there'll be sets of an essence with a crystal, garden essence, crystal essence, and an altar oil. And then, so check, check those out. And then the Living Altar is curating an exhibition at the Museum of Museums entitled What We Celebrate, which is a queer and trans-focused visual art multimedia um, video collection um, of different trans artists speaking to um, of their vision of a queer future uh, where we can simply just exist in celebration. So mm. we, that opens February, the first Friday of February in 2022, and it'll run for three months up here on, um, in Seattle at the Museum of Museums. So stay tuned for an announcement. Well, thank you both so much. This was so lovely. I'm glad we got a chance to do this. And that tech was on our side this time. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you of yes, thank you, spirits. <laughs> Are you an LGBTQ plus identified individual that has a humorous story of failure? Attempted a pandemic hobby that didn't go as planned? A witch whose spell brought unexpected results? Tried cooking a new dish for a dinner party that veered horribly off course? Queer Chaos Podcast wants to hear from you. At this show, we rally around the queer art of failure and experiments that didn't quite make it. Email your funny trips down the tried it lane to queerchaospodcast at gmail.com and your story might land right here on our little show. Please include a first name you'd like to be known by and the city town you're located in. We won't share any other information. We ain't trying to dox a bitch. And please, make it a story and not just the result. Like, my cat puked on my date. Queer Chaos is hosted and co-produced by me, John Malitris, and recorded at House of Pod in Denver, Colorado. Our podcast cover art was created by Evan Lorenzen, who you can find on the Instagrams at artandsuchevan. That's A-R-T-A-N-D-S-U-C-H-E-V-A-N. Evan is also an amazing tattoo artist based in Denver, so check them out. You can find Queer Chaos on Instagram at Queer Chaos Podcast and online at QueerChaosPodcast.com. If you have some coins you can throw our way, we are on the Patreon, which is linked through our website, QueerChaosPodcast.com. Those coins go to monthly studio fees, website, and admin upkeep. And don't forget to send us your stories to QueerChaosPodcast at gmail.com. Until next show, embrace the queer chaos.